Naturally occurring black pigments in vegetables, spices, and seeds have been found to have powerful anti-inflammatory effects. Black for Health liquid extract from Future Farm Botanicals combines the four most powerful of these plant-based foods. Black garlic, black radish root, black peppercorn, and black cumin seed, which I believe to be one of the most promising in its wide range of potential therapeutic applications. It's an all-natural daily preventative against a host of possible inflammatory issues. Black for Health supports your liver, skin, cholesterol, blood pressure, circulation, and immunity. It's a delicious tasting supplement with liposome complex for optimal absorption. Future Farm offers some of the most innovative products I've seen in quite a while. For more information and to order, call 888-841-7216, 888-841-7216, or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's myfuturephafm, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Black for Health is all natural science-based and works without adverse side effects. Myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome to Intelligent Medicine, America's foremost program on health, medicine, and nutrition, featuring the latest on both conventional and alternative therapies. Now, here's Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Welcome to another hour of the weekend edition of Intelligent Medicine, because we got lots in store for you. We can share some of the health stories of the week with you, and you can share some of your concerns with us. 877-726-8255, our number. And we'll get to some of those uh, calls in just a moment. Uh, this hour, we're going to talk about uh, phthalates, you know, things that uh, are in plastics. But did you know that there are actually phthalates in some medications? Phthalates uh, now linked to a higher risk of children's cancer. That's not good. Uh, also, how important is it to keep the light out? Uh, when you're trying to achieve optimal sleep, according to a recent study, it may be crucial. 877-726-8255, the keto diet for multiple sclerosis, and more. But first, cocoa is in the news this week. Uh, in papers published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, uh, a team at uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital, part of the Harvard Medical System, uh, revealed the results of something called the Cocoa Supplement and Multivitamin Outcomes Study. It was a trial that tested a cocoa flavanol supplement and a multivitamin in the prevention of cardiovascular disease and cancer. And what they found was that people randomized to receive the cocoflavanol supplement had a 27% lower rate of cardiovascular death. So that's pretty cool. Uh, we know that uh, cocoa has circulatory benefits. It's a potent uh, antioxidant, phytonutrient, polyphenol. Uh, it's a a among the uh, polyphenols, there are subcategories, and it's what's called a flavanol. And flavanols uh, uh, are particularly rich in cocoa. Uh, related compounds can be found in tea and in coffee. Uh, so what they found is that uh, a daily capsule, just 500 milligrams of cocoa flavanols, donated, by the way, by Mars Company, uh, cocoa flavanols reduced total cardiovascular events by 10%. 
But when it came to death, it was a 27% reduction in death. So that's pretty cool. Uh, beware, however, because uh, this was high-test uh, cocoa. I've written about cocoa, I think, around the time of Valentine's Day. I did a column about the benefits of cocoa. And you have to be careful because candy, chocolate candy, does not necessarily deliver the benefits of high-flavanol uh, cocoa, which uh, tends to be a little on the bitter side. You want high-test 88%, 90%, 95% cocoa, uh, which is a little challenging for some people because they're not used to say, a little bit of a bitter edge to it. It's an acquired taste, like, you know, drinking beer, drinking coffee. And bitter tasters, people who have a, uh, who are sensitive to the sensation of bitter, and that's, that's genetically determined. They have a lot of trouble with that type of, uh, cocoa. So, uh, also got to keep in mind that uh, chocolate, in addition to having health benefits, is kind of a Trojan horse for calories from sugar and fat. So uh, I was doing a lot of chocolate in the belief that, you know, it tastes good and it was good for me. And uh, I'd be consuming pretty nigh a bar of high test 90% cocoa a day. You know, I'd break up a little piece uh, after breakfast with my decaf and then maybe if I was at home, have a little bit of lunch, and maybe a little more at dinner. Read the calorie count on that bar. It was about 500 calories. So you don't necessarily want to add that much to your daily diet, unless you're exercising like a champion. So uh, there you have it. Encouraging study on uh, cocoa flavanols. Uh, let's take one of those recorded calls. Let's hear that. Dr. Hoffman, uh, I love your show. I have a question about my 16-year-old granddaughter. She is healthy, but she has hyperhidrosis. And I want to know if there's anything holistic that she can do. Her doctor wanted to put her on a medicine, but she didn't want to. Right. Thank you, and continue the good work. Okay, thank you for your call. Uh, so hyperhidrosis is a fancy word for excessive sweating. And it can be kind of debilitating because, you know, you stick out your hand for a handshake and it's all wet, you know, kind of clammy. And it also sometimes, you know, it's so severe that it runs through your clothes, you know, get a big wet, wet patch under your arms. And uh, it can create a lot of social embarrassment, uh, especially for young people. And it, so to some extent, it may be associated in, from a natural standpoint, it may be associated, in my experience, with food intolerances and allergies. Certainly getting on a cleaner diet can help, but only a little bit. And for some people, it's also kind of a nervous thing, like blushing. Uh, it triggers a, a sweating response. And so... You know, sometimes relaxation therapies and just matura general maturation can help because teenagers are in sort of a highly stressed mode. But uh, uh, often that's not enough. And so some natural things uh, can include drinking sage tea, which is kind of a drying agent, uh, works a bit to help with hyperhidrosis. And then you move on to medical therapies, which include iontophoresis, 
which is it's actually a device that delivers a little bit of an electrical stimulus to the skin that can help. And some people swear by that. They say it really works, you know, to reduce the sweating in their hands or under their arms. Uh, the next step is to take medication, but the medication, all those medications have side effects. And I think your daughter is, or your granddaughter is wise to be wary about those medications because they all have uh, side effects. They can cause, they dry your, your skin, but they also dry your mouth. They can cause urinary problems. Uh, they're anticholinergic, which is not so much of a problem for a youngster, but for older people, medications that are anticholinergic can um, increase the risk of dementia can accelerate the onset of uh, cognitive decline. Uh, so uh, then there's a surgical treatment, which is kind of the last resort. It's called a sympathetectomy, where they go in uh, to the sides of your chest, and apparently the nerves that may determine uh, underarm sweating and hand sweating travel there, and they, they, they snip the nerves. And, you know, they do so very selectively, so you don't have any kind of problem with... Uh, touch or movement, you know, you don't want to sever the nerves that uh, give you uh, sensation from your hands, for example, or affect movement. Uh, but sympathetectomy is pretty effective, ultimately, in um, dealing with very, very profound, heavy sweating. It's a last resort, but it's something to, th to think about if the problem is very, very debilitating, which it can be. And, uh, you know, teenagers, wow, you know, it's such a it's such a social impediment to have the sweating. You know, you get kitted a lot. It's embarrassing. So that is sometimes a consideration. I mean, the other thing I have to say is that I think athletic conditioning is great for people who have excessive sweating. Yeah, it's going to make you sweat, but it may sort of normalize your sweating at rest so that you sweat more in an, in an adaptation exercise as you should, uh, whereas at rest – uh, you stay cool as a cucumber. 877-726-8255, our number. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is Intelligent Medicine. Back to Intelligent Medicine, Dr. Ronald Hoffman here. Our number, 877-726-8255. You can get in on the action by calling now, or you can call anytime you like during the week, and you can record a question. So let's uh, talk about a really disturbing trend U.S. drug overdose deaths reach another record high as deaths from fentanyl surge. You know, that's a hell of a business model. Uh, kill your customers. <laughs> if the uh, automobile industry worked that way, uh, they would have been out of business in 1910. But unfortunately, unscrupulous people are killing uh, tens of thousands of especially young people in this country with fentanyl-laced drugs, drugs that purport to be cocaine, for example, but have fentanyl, as was tragically illustrated when six West Point football players on spring break sickened after overdosing on fentanyl-laced cocaine. There was so much fentanyl in there that uh, they, I guess they snorted it and uh, immediately went into cardiac arrest, and their companions who were trained in CPR administered CPR to them and themselves went into cardiac arrest. 
two of the cadets had not ingested the drugs but were overcome by the effects of fentanyl when they attempted to perform mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on their sickened friends. So this is just wild, wild stuff. And the toll, although not as high as the death toll from COVID, you know, comparatively uh, rounding it off, nearly a million people in the United States have died due to COVID or they died with COVID. And there's some controversy about that because uh, some of those people were in very bad shape, then they died, and they tested positive for COVID. COVID may have not, it may have been uh, the straw that broke the camel's back, um, or it may have been the coup de grace for people who were uh, near death's door anyway due to comorbidities and underlying health conditions. But it was relatively rare to have people in their 20s and 30s die of COVID. But an estimated 105,752 people died of drug overdoses in the 12-month period ending October 2021. Uh, Two-thirds of those deaths involved synthetic opioids such as fentanyl. So, you know, people used to OD uh, back in the day. I mean, think of back to old movies like Panic and Needle Park, which was a, a debut movie for Al Pacino in the 70s. And people could overdose. But that was just heroin. This is so much more powerful. It's a synthetic opioid that they just can't get right. I mean, you, the people who make this, they're not subject to quality control. They don't prepare this stuff in FDA-inspected labs. They just throw in a little fentanyl to spike the effects of the drugs, then they sell them as whatever, you know, and that little fentanyl, you know, throw a little fentanyl in. Well, how much? I don't know. Here, you know, use a teaspoon. <laughs> and just an infinitesimal amount of fentanyl can kill you. Uh, it, there's been cases where when they busted during fentanyl busts, just opening the trunk of a car with fentanyl in the trunk can overwhelm the arresting officers. Fentanyl has had a rapid and dramatic uh, rise. Overdose deaths involving these drugs have nearly doubled over the past two years, from about 35,000 to 69,000. Uh, and it it's lethal stuff. Uh, so, very, very disturbing trend. And why, I mean, what kind of business model involves killing off your customers this just doesn't make any sense uh, unless it's a deliberate attempt to undermine the health of americans i mean that's a bit of a conspiracy theory is that uh it's illicitly made in china and they get it over to uh, mexico and then they ship it over the border and that's how it gets in the country and the unscrupulous uh Chinese manufacturers just don't care. Just don't care about the fate of their consumers. So there you have it. 877-726-8255, our number. Well, let's switch gears and talk about something that's entirely wholesome. Intelligent Medicine is sponsored by, in part by Chromadex, which provides healthcare practitioners with a clinically proven vital resource to increase your patient's levels of NAD. It's a critical, healthy, living molecule, as everyone, and as anyone who's studied biology knows. Uh, 
NAD works at the cellular level to fuel energy production in the mitochondria. And it supports some 500 enzymatic pathways in the body, but many factors can cause NAD levels to drop, such as poor diet, alcohol consumption, lack of sleep, immune stress, overtraining, excess sun exposure, and stress, and aging itself. So it's important to supplement NAD reserves. Fortunately, there's a patented NAD precursor called Niagen, or nicotinamide riboside. You heard me talk about it here on Intelligent Medicine, one of my favorite supplements. It's the active ingredient in the cellular support supplement True Niagen Pro. Backed by nearly 100 published papers and multiple human studies, True Niagen Pro can safely and effectively elevate your patient's NAD levels. In fact, Niagen is clinically proven to be safe, well-tolerated, and effective in boosting NAD. True Niagen Pro gives hardworking cells exactly what they need to perform at their best. To learn more about the research behind True Niagen Pro, or to order, visit pro.trueniagen.com. That's true, spelled T-R-U, pro.trueniagen.com. And from now until June 30th, practitioners can get 10% off with coupon code Hoffman 10. True Niagen Pro is cellular defense for life. I recommend it heartily. Uh, on the subject of keto diets, you know, keto diets controversial because they say, well, you know, you need some carbs. Uh, I find in certain circumstances, keto diets can be extremely helpful. And they also are used in brain disorders. They're used in Seizure disorders that no longer respond to medication. Uh, the brain actually prefers ketones as fuel compared to glucose, which is what you get from carbs. And there's a study on the keto diet and MS. Headline, keto diet and MS, multiple sclerosis, tied to less disability, better quality of life. First of all, it helps uh, patients lose some weight. So any excess weight, if you have uh, faulty nerves and difficulty with your muscles, uh, you can lose, shed some extra pounds on the keto diet. But it seems to go further than that. It's anti-inflammatory, and it may work on the brain, which is impaired in these neurological disorders. Uh, improvements were shown on the six-minute walk by about uh, 100 feet from 1,631 to 1,733 feet in, one mi in six minutes, and something called the nine-hole peg test, <laughs> 21 seconds versus uh, 20 seconds. Um, so quality of life and mental composite scores also improved well on the ketogenic diet. That's kind of cool. And uh, there was also some significant weight loss. So over a six-month period, uh, this seems to suggest that a low-carb diet or even a ketogenic diet, which is all virtually no carbs, can be helpful for quality of life and uh, mental performance, mood, uh, and disability in MS. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is Intelligent Medicine. Welcome back to Intelligent Medicine. Dr. Ronald Hoffman here. 877-726-8255, our number. That number available to you 24-7. We'll take a call momentarily. But um, phthalates, it's kind of a spelling bee or scrabble word. Uh, it's phthalates, spelled P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S, phthalates. And phthalates are commonly associated with plastics. 
uh, it tends to soften plastic. So it's used often in toys, in personal care products, in food packaging, and even in medical equipment such as intravenous tubing to make it uh, pliant and flexible. Um, that it, so much concern about that that they've uh, now uh, tried to minimize kids' exposure to phthalates because, of course, part of the way that kids experience the world is they touch and then they put it in their mouth and they chew on their toys. And that's not a good idea if the toys are laced with phthalate. So look for phthalate-free uh, toys for your toddlers. That can make a difference. Um, but I didn't realize this until recently. Uh, phthalates are used in medication, uh, prescription medication and over-the-counter medications, especially in uh, things that are enteric-coated for slow release. There was a study in, back in 2004 uh, that looked at azacol, which is a medication for treating ulcerative colitis, in a time-release form. It's covered with an enteric coating of something called dibutyl phthalate, or DBP, that prevents the medication from breaking down before it reaches the small intestine for proper absorption. Uh, they found a fairly high output of DBP in the urine of subjects taking the medication azacol, uh, exceeding by two orders of magnitude uh, the normal level. So uh, those concentrations surpassed the dose established by, for DBP, the maximum dose, by the Environmental Protection Agency. On the basis of animal testing, so so that's not good. And these these are medic these are medications for life. Some people take medications like azacol on a daily basis. Well, it's not just azacol. Uh, using uh, by by doing a survey, they they looked at all the available drugs, and they were able to identify over a hundred drug and and drugs and, that contain phthalates, including fifty prescription drugs, and forty over the counter uh, medications. And I don't have a list of them, but you can obtain them. Um, they list DEP, diethylphthalate, or dibutylphthalate uh, as ingredient, DBP. So that's not great. And it's in particular, in light of this uh, study just out, uh, exposure to phthalates, the so-called everywhere chemical, it's ubiquitous in our chemicalized environment, may increase children's cancer risk. The study was in the Journal of the National Cancer Institute, suggests that exposure to medication-associated phthalates may contribute to the development of some childhood cancers, and that minimizing exposure to phthalates may help prevent some childhood cancers in the future. In a, and the tragedy of these weird cancers that kids are now getting, where is it coming from? What is it? You know, there's so much in our environment. Um, is it the food? Is it, you know, are they chewing on the toys? Is it off-gassing from uh, furniture, uh, which has uh, fire retardants on it? There's so much uh, that is assaulting our immune systems and overwhelming our detoxification capabilities. So what they found is that um, they looked at 2,000 cases of childhood cancer, 
they found that um, uh, childhood exposure was associated with 20% higher rate of childhood cancer overall, and uh, that's significant. So they say that more studies are needed, but exposure to phthalates has been linked to thyroid, breast, and other solid tumors. Uh, it, phthalates, like other plasticizers such as BPA, bisphenol A, are ubiquitous in the environment and are significant risk factors for adverse health effects, including they're also, they, they block metabolism and they can be what are called obesogens. They can literally make you fat because they prevent the proper uh, caloric expenditure as you burn fat. So nasty stuff present in our environment. And I didn't even realize this. Now I'm making you aware of it. Uh, certain medications, especially enterically coated products, it's for time release. 877-726-8255, our number. And uh, let's take the opportunity to take one of our recorded calls. Let's hear it. Dr. Hoffman, I'm calling regarding my wife. She's a healthy 73-year-old who just got her results from her second DEXA scan. Both tests indicate she has osteopenia. Her last T-score were minus 1.1 to minus 2.1. Her doctor wants to put her on a generic Fosamax. Based on your newsletters and podcasts, Ostera and Strontium is a more efficient and healthier way to go. She takes a multi-vitamin D, uh, magnesium, calcium, fish oil, kyolic, and more. She exercises regularly. My question is twofold. What dosage, Ostera and Strontium, do you recommend? And if she elects to take the generic Fosamax, can she take the Ostera and Strontium in also? Okay. So this is an interesting question. I mean, osteopenia means a somewhat of a relatively mild reduction in bone density potentially on the way to osteoporosis. But from the numbers that you shared with me, she actually has pretty good bone density. In fact, her bone density is better than average for a 74-year-old. Uh, the T-score is minus where zero is average for a 35-year-old. So yes, a 74-year-old is going to have a score below that of uh, a 35-year-old who's at the peak of bone development before bone loss begins to occur as women age and then they go through menopause. So that's a pretty good score. If she were a patient of mine, I would definitely not put her on medication. I would use natural approach. Uh, I, I'm i not even sure that she needs to be so aggressive as to take strontium. There's nothing wrong really with taking strontium. She might take it for a couple of years to increase her bone density as a hedge against uh, osteoporosis because if she's healthy at 74, she has a great likelihood of surviving well into her 90s. At which point, maybe there will we she will cross the threshold to formal osteoporosis. But osteoporosis is almost uh, normal uh, to for ninety plus individuals. So she can take the the products you reference. Ostera is a hops derived product. Uh, it's available from Metagenics. And you can get it via our website at drhoffman.com. Just click on store. There's a drop-down menu that takes you to full script where you can register as a patient. And then you can uh, order products uh, as you desire. And so Ostera uh, works in a way similar to some of the osteoporosis drugs, but it's milder. It seems to have an effect on bone inflammation, which is a factor that promotes bone loss. 
Uh, hops is a natural anti-inflammatory. So, uh, strontium is similar in chemical, in, uh, in its atomic structure to calcium, but it's heavier and it kind of acts like rebar in the bone. That seems to be how it works. And as you take strontium, you put strontium in your bones and it uh, strengthens the bones, reduces fracture risk, increases bone density. And uh, I found it very effective at preventing uh, fractures. So that's something that uh, you can consider. So it, the dosage for strontium is 600 or 640 milligrams. Some pills are 300, some pills are 320. You take two at bedtime. Austere, I would just take one twice daily. Uh, and I would also, one thing that's missing from her program is vitamin K2. Uh, MK7 is a type of vitamin K2 that's been shown to have bone strengthening effects. And you may want to take, uh, you know, 90 or 180 micrograms of vitamin K2 along with that program. Uh, can you take it with the medication? Well, I don't suggest that you take the medication. I suggest you try the natural approach, and then two years later, they repeat your DEXA, and I think you'll see some improvements. You certainly are not likely to see any worsening. Um, and, you know, if there is, for some reason, an inability to halt the progression of her bone loss, uh, then you, that's when you pull the trigger on medications, in my opinion. Uh, Fosamax, uh, overused medication. It's a bisphosphonate. It's associated with higher risk of uh, what are called pathological fractures. If you use doctors know that if you use it too long, uh, your bone density will increase, but your bones will become more brittle. So, uh, I, you know, it has a place, but I, I, in my opinion, not in this case. So I'm giving you a second opinion. I know it's at variance with what the doctor's suggesting, but a lot of doctors, you know, right away they're going to prescribe medication if there's any departure from optimal bone density, you know, just a little osteopenia, let's take a medication. Well, these medications actually were not designed to treat osteopenia. They're for osteoporosis. They're for treating, osteoporosis is a disease. Osteopenia is like you're auditioning for the part, but you haven't gotten it. And it doesn't make sense to use them as a preventive. It's better to use natural things as a preventive because they're safer, gentler, and in my opinion, equally effective without the downsides. All right, 877-726-8255, our number. And we'll be back with more of today's Intelligent Medicine. Back to Intelligent Medicine, Dr. Ronald Hoffman here. Interesting study that suggests that um, you really need to use the blackout curtains, especially if you live in an urban area, if you're a shift worker, uh, you need to keep your room dark. And if you have devices that flash on and off at night, that's not good either because, well, in addition to interrupting your sleep, this new study from Northwestern University suggests that exposure to even moderate ambient lighting during nighttime sleep compared to sleeping in the dark harms your cardiovascular function during sleep. It also increases your insulin resistance the following mornings. So, even a single night of exposure to moderate room lighting during sleep can impair glucose and cardiovascular regulation. These, of course, are risk factors for heart disease, diabetes, and metabolic syndrome. Um, they say here, quote, the results from this study demonstrate that just a single night of exposure to moderate room lighting can impair glucose and cardiovascular regulation. 
now, why is that? Well, give me an example. Uh, I just got back from Phoenix, which is Western time zone. It's three hours earlier than New York, where I live. And I got back on a flight that arrived at 1130 and got back to my apartment at around midnight. And it took a while to wind down. And I was on, I was already, I'd been there for a week in Phoenix. So I was already adapted to the circadian rhythm of three hours uh, difference. But, and I thought it would sleep late. But as the sunlight came into the room, fortunately, I have a window that in New York sometimes it's not a lot of light. But fortunately, I have a window that allows ambient light into the room. Uh, I woke up. I woke up with circadian rhythm of the new time zone. And I was alert and ready to go on about five hours of sleep. Uh, exposure during daytime to light increases the heart rate, they say, via activation of the sympathetic nervous system. That's the fight or flight system. Kicks your heart into high gear and heightens alertness to meet the challenges of the day. Well, but you don't want that to happen during sleep. I mean, it will interrupt your sleep and make you have a more restless night. But it's also uh, bad for your heart, bad for your metabolism, which is kind of interesting. So you know, this is a problem that shift workers have because uh, they need really good blackout curtains. If they're going to, you know, say you got an overnight shift and then you come home and you have a bite to eat and you go to sleep during the daytime. Well, make sure day is dark in that room because uh, that can make a difference. Um, and uh, use light and darkness to regulate your metabolism and your circadian rhythm. All right, here's something that can help you with a universal complaint, which is fatigue. If fatigue sometimes holds you back from doing the things you want to do, well, studies show that your cellular health may start to decline as early as 25 years of age. Now, you can uh, you can repair your mitochondria, which decline with aging, uh, with a formula that's clinically proven to improve your body's natural energy production. It's NT Factor from Nutritional Therapeutics. NT Factor reduces fatigue by almost half, and it also reduces, uh, slows the progression towards aging. NT Factor is available in a variety of formulations tailored to your specific needs, full-spectrum vitamin mineral formulas, immune support formulas, targeted nutrition, and then there's pure NT factor that is compatible with whatever supplement regimen you're already taking. You can add it. I've been using NT factor for years. Don't go a day without it. And I prescribe it for my patients with a 45 day money back guarantee. You have nothing to lose. Um, to order, call 800-982-9158, 800-982-9158, or go to their new user friendly website. It's NT factor. Dot com. That's ntfactor.com. Um, all right. Uh, it's allergy season. Uh, because, and it, it's interesting because even if the trees aren't blooming here where I live in the Northeast, a lot of people are having allergy symptoms. Why? Because there's this thing called the jet stream. And the jet stream sometimes, uh, it sometimes goes south and it picks up pollen from Texas and some of the southern states where the trees are already in bloom. And people say, well, how come I'm sniffling and sneezing? Maybe I need a COVID test. It turns out they're allergic. I actually saw 
one of my favorite newscasters on TV. It was all congested. He said, don't worry, don't worry, I don't have COVID. <laughs> I just have really bad allergies. Excuse He said, excuse me, I, I'm perhaps a little bit congested today. So uh, what are some of the natural things you can do? Well, first suggestion, as I'll share in an article in our newsletter this week, as we inaugurate allergy season 2022, Allermageddon, pass on the pizza. Your allergy cup runneth over when the pollen arrives. So you can reduce your overall allergy quotient by getting rid of foods that you're allergic to. Wheat and dairy, primary foods that can trigger allergy. Now, I find that's the case for me. Uh, some people, it's yeast, so drinking beer or wine, very problematic. Uh, avoid uh, beer and wine especially. Uh, if you want to imbibe clear distilled alcohol such as vodka and gin or tequila, seem better tolerated, but only in moderation because alcohol is a bit of a trigger for allergic reactions. Skip the sugar because sugar promotes yeast overgrowth, which triggers allergic symptoms. Avoid histamine triggers. There is something called a low histamine diet, which you may want to look at. Certain foods uh, have the potential to trigger histamine production in the body. So that may be, if you're fine most of the year, but find you're miserable in the spring, maybe that's the time to go on a low histamine diet for a few weeks until the pollen levels decline. Get some really fresh air, not just regular fresh air, not, you know, taking a walk outside is not going to help. Cloister yourself inside during the couple of weeks when spring pollens peak with the air conditioner on, especially if it's got a good filter. Uh, if you air conditioner is not cleaned, it can harbor bacteria and fungus, which actually can make your allergies worse. And give your house a checkup because hidden sources of mold or volatile organic uh, compounds that off-gas from new carpets or furniture can be allergy triggers. Um, be born in a major. I talked to uh, someone during my bike trip uh, who, she has virtually no allergies. She was, she, she grew up on a farm. <laughs> so that can help. Exposure to animals uh, playing in the dirt. Uh, these people generally have fewer allergies as they age. Uh, avoid antibiotics because too many antibiotics up the risk for asthma and other allergic disorders. Subscribe to our newsletter, download our podcast, lots of content there. Have yourself a safe and healthy weekend. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman.